This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Spreadsheets are evil. And I don't mean that in an anti-accountancy way, but I mean that oftentimes we use spreadsheets to push data around payroll, details of employees on annual leave or whatever it might be, and we don't understand the hidden toggles in those spreadsheets, the hidden tabs. That was Jonathan Armstrong. I'm Tom Fox. I'd like to welcome you to the award-winning Life with GDPR, a podcast where Jonathan and I review data privacy, data protection, GDPR, and other issues related to these topics. Today, we take up a very troubling inadvertent data release from the public safety of Northern Ireland Police Force, which has certainly uh, damaged the police force and the safety of its members. I know you'll enjoy this episode of Life with GDPR. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back again with Jonathan Armstrong for another episode of the award-winning Life with GDPR. Jonathan, welcome back. Thank you, Tom. Jonathan, in addition to living in Great Britain, you actually live in the United Kingdom. So we thought we might enjoy the sometimes forgotten part of the United Kingdom, Northern Ireland, with a story about the police force from Northern Ireland. What interested you from a data privacy, data protection, or overall GDPR perspective? Yeah, thanks very much, Tom. I think, first of all, it's a story I wish I wasn't telling. I'll say that from the very start. But this concerns the Police Service of Northern Ireland. They're known as PSNI. And they were responding to a freedom of information request. So I know in the US you have similar legislation. This legislation allows people to ask questions. They're often fairly inane questions. Sometimes they're from service providers and they questions directed at a public authority. This question asked for details of staffing at PSNI, and the person responding to the FOI request, it seems intended to give that answer. They uploaded a document to a public site called What Do They Know, which helps organization, well, helps individuals make FOI requests, and then the answers can be uploaded, which are then in the public domain. It theoretically stops repetitive FOI requests, so there's some efficiency there. But what happened was that the spreadsheet was uploaded with too much data. It included things like surnames, the initials of current employees in the service, their rank, their grade, the location, the department they worked in. It included highly sensitive areas like surveillance and intelligence. It included officers that were on career breaks. And it's fair to say that the results of the data breach have been pretty devastating. We have heard tell from one police officer and they felt that they couldn't have Sunday lunch with their parents 
for 10 years because of safety concerns. And now, of course, this leak means that probably they never can again. There were 10,799 lines in this Excel spreadsheet that shouldn't have been released and were. And whilst the spreadsheet was removed from the website in about two and a half hours at PSNI's request, it has been claimed by one dissident group that they have a copy and that they know where individual officers are likely to be. And obviously, we had another breach this week of electoral roll data, and data like that could theoretically be used to provide the missing bits of this database. It's relatively easy to use public sources or to use some of the data from other breaches like the Electoral Royal possibly, like Experian beforehand, to find uh, out where people live. Now, obviously, there's a raised threat of terrorism in Northern Ireland. In March, the terrorist threat level was raised from substantial to severe, in part because of the attempted murder of one serving officer at PSNI when he was off duty. So not only is it a consequential breach because individuals could be targeted, but it's also consequential because even if they're not being targeted, people in that database will live in fear. And in some respects, it's similar to a cabinet office breach that occurred earlier during the Johnson administration. And in that incident, again involving spreadsheets, somebody close to the prime minister, if not the prime minister, altered the list of people who were to receive honours at a late stage. And as a result, some of the security checks on that database were bypassed. And again, details of individuals were leaked. I happen to know that somebody on that list was woken, who had previously done great service in countering security threats to the UK, was woken in the early hours of the morning by armed police officers saying, it's nothing serious, nothing to worry about, but can we sit with you in your house to protect you? Now, officers waking you up in the middle of the night with in a country where officers don't routinely carry arms and asking if they can sit in your house to guard you is never going to be a trivial experience and one that you're going to forget lightly. And here, I think, we will have officers who are traumatized by this episode. Obviously, the wider implication here is watch out for spreadsheets. The regulators are tired of giving this warning. Frankly, I'm a bit tired of giving this warning. And oftentimes, I'm getting paid to give the warning. I don't want to give it to people again. Spreadsheets are evil. And I don't mean that in an anti-accountancy way, but I mean that oftentimes we use spreadsheets to push data around, payroll, 
details of employees on annual leave or whatever it might be. And we don't understand the hidden toggles in those spreadsheets, the hidden tabs. Just because we can see one field of data on our screen doesn't mean to say that there aren't other fields behind that. And a lot of the breaches like this we see involve spreadsheets. I've been involved in some pretty horrendous ones where individuals never intended to share the data outside of the organization, but they ended up doing so. And if I can make one other point, and again, I'm trying not to make this as a political point, but somebody close to the prime minister decided that instead of taking the fine of £500,000 for the last incident, the Cabinet Office incident, they would appeal the regulator. So this is part of government appealing a fine levied by another part of government saying that the commissioner that they had appointed had got it wrong. Now, as if that's not unforgivable to start with, somebody newly appointed in role as the new regulator agreed to reduce the fine levied to 10% of the original fine. So what message did that send to government as a whole? We ended up with a fine for the cabinet office breach, which is less than a third of the average fine of a health and safety incident in the UK. And I think that led to people in government thinking that breaches like this are a third as serious as a relatively minor health and safety breach. So that means that you don't put resources into this type of issue. You put them into areas like health and safety instead, because that's the signal you've had from government as to what matters. So this is a horrendous incident. It'll go down as one of the galling data breaches ever in the UK. People who've laid their lives on the line in fighting against terrorism in Northern Ireland have been badly let down. But they've been let down not only by their employer, regrettably, they've been let down by the government as well. Because the government have sent a signal that this stuff doesn't matter. And it does. And the regulator needs to step up to the plate and remind all shades of government that this is consequential stuff. We have got to look after people who engage in the fight against terrorism on our behalves. I'll stumble as I get off my soapbox, Tom. While you're straightening yourself back up, I don't want to make light of this or sound sound indifferent to this, but it seems to me that a relatively straightforward, relatively inexpensive measure could be to put a second set of eyes on any information that is released, particularly of this sensitive nature, whether it's a second set of individual eyes, whether it's a committee, whether it's scaled up through an organization, 
But this is just an excusable self-inflicted wound. Yeah. Not that just it certainly boggles the mind and puts real people in real danger and real peril. But even if resources are allocated to health services or others, it just strikes me that there is some relatively straightforward strategies that you could utilize to help prevent this and situations yeah. like it in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, there are a lot of lessons to be learned. Oftentimes, subject access requests, FOI requests are pushed down to the most junior member of staff that's competent. That has to change with requests like this. You do need a second pair of eyes. You should be looking at better technology solutions. That could be as simple as converting the spreadsheet into a PDF and making sure that only those fields have carried across into the PDF. Although I know that we've seen issues with PDF and redactions, etc., in other, other GDPR cases. But there are technology solutions out there that can help. But the basic thing is taking your obligations seriously. These aren't trivial cases. They don't have trivial impact. We've had a number of cases about this. There's cases relating to gang warfare in London, where data was released in a very similar way by a similar member of staff, by a similar process. We've had enough warnings about this stuff. Central government, and number 10 particularly, has to send a clear message that it intends to comply properly and it expects all of business to comply. And appealing these type of fines when you've got it wrong should not happen. And I almost hate to ask this, but for those Americans who may not have passports, what is number 10? Our number 10 is the residence of our prime minister. So my view, as many of our prime ministers currently in the U.S., you're perfectly welcome to detain him there. But uh, absentee prime minister or not, he needs to get a grip on this. Well, lots of lessons learned. We're going to cite to a newspaper article that Jonathan has flagged about this. Just horrific result. But I hope organizations will take to heart some of the basic protections that we've talked about going forward, Jonathan. Thank you, Tom. This is Tom Fox again. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Life with GDPR. If you've enjoyed our podcast, I hope you'll subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever great podcasts are listened to. We've linked to the quarterly compliance news alert on this case. So for more information, check out that news alert and the quarterly compliance site. Life with GDPR is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.